I've got two prayer requests here that I want you to remember. This is for Juanita Green. She uh, is, has cancer and is going to be undergoing surgery and treatments. This is from Krista Green. So let's remember this one. Let's remember Brenda McClay and family. Uh, her husband, Chris, was hiking with a friend and he collapsed and they could not revive him. So please be praying for this family. This is from Connie Grindstaff. And then we want to remember all the prayer requests that are in our bulletin on the back. Uh, we have those prayer requests, and so let's remember those. Uh, for Travis Kerlock's wife, uh, uh, Ida, we've been praying for them. For Linda McLemore, for Chloe Rochester, uh, remember these that we've been praying for so much about. And then uh, just so many different ones. So let's keep praying. Make sure you get a prayer list as well. And uh, let's remember those in prayer. I'm going to ask Kurt if he would stand up this evening. And right where you are, just open us up in a word of prayer this evening. Page 97, 97, everybody stand. There shall be showers of blessing. This is the promise of love. There shall be seasons refreshing, sent from the Savior of Showers of blessing, showers of blessing we need. Mercy drops round us are falling, but for the showers we plead. There shall be showers of blessing, precious reviving again. Over the hills and the Sound of abundance of rain, oh, showers of blessing, showers of blessing we need. Mercy drops round us are falling, but for the showers we plead, there shall be showers of blessing. Send them upon us, O Lord, us now a refreshing, come in now, honor thy word, oh, showers of blessing, showers of blessing we need, mercy drops round us are falling, but for the showers we there shall be showers of blessing oh that today they might fall now as to god we're confessing now as on jesus we call showers of blessing showers 
chasing me, me. Mercy drops round us are falling, but for the showers we plead. Amen. You may be seated. Right. We want you to make sure that you grab a bulletin and get all the announcements that are in there. There's a couple that are happening this week that are important. Remember, youth group on Tuesday night will be over at the campground. So we'll be over there, young people. Don't forget that. Men's devotion night, Friday night, June the 9th, uh, over at the uh, Meadows Farm. Justin's going to be leading the, uh, the uh, devotion that night. And he put on there, there'll be fishing and hoagies. That's a good deal right there. Amen. Are you getting fish for hoagies? Anyway, but anyway. So don't forget that. That's at 630 on Friday night. Young adults is Saturday on June the 10th. So don't forget that as well. Uh, WMU meeting on June the 18th. So make sure you get those. There'll be a fellowship meeting June the 24th over at the campground. And we're praying about that. Looking forward to that. That'll be the first uh, fellowship meeting at the campground. And then I want to kind of highlight this young ladies convention. Mark your calendars. All young ladies ages 10 and up are invited to come out for a brunch devotion and time of fellowship on Saturday, July 8th from 10 to 12 in the fellowship hall. And Ruby, you're going to be leading that, right? Where's Ruby? There's Ruby. All right. So if you've got any questions, you can ask Ruby. All right. They're going to, uh, and she's been doing a great job with those things. Don't forget about the camp meeting at the fellowship grounds, July 10th through the 14th. Very excited about that and what the Lord will do. So let's keep praying about that. All right. At this time, we'll have our ushers come for our Sunday evening tithes and offerings. It's been a while, but I've been trying to remember to recommend some books. And I had recommended some kind of heavy reading. But this book is pretty light reading. It's called Life Stories. It's by Mark Hall. He is uh, the, one of the guys in Casting Crowns, actually kind of the main guy. And it is a great book that goes through kind of his writing process and how he came about to write those songs. If you've listened to their music much, our choir does quite a few Casting Crown songs. And in this book, he talks about how he wrote those songs, uh, what the Lord was doing in his life. Uh, and they're absolutely amazing. And again, like I said, if you know anything about him, many people have said his songs are like sermons. And so the way that he uh, arranged those is pretty good. So that's uh, a great book. You'll enjoy it. It's an easy read, nothing too deep. It just is great, and it will really will encourage you. I remember actually being in Honduras and reading this book on one of our trips and was so encouraged during that whole time. Life Stories by Mark Hall, a great book. All right. Jason, we ask a blessing on the offering. Dear Lord, we thank you for this day that you've given to us, Lord, and the beautiful weather. Lord, and we just thank you for the beautiful service this morning and the time of worship. Lord, we pray that as we gather again tonight, Lord, that our focus would be on you, and that now as we take up the offering, that that which is given, Lord, would be used to further your kingdom, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Guard his 
is excellent greatness. Praise Him, praise Him, ever in joyful song. Praise Him, praise Him, Jesus our blessed Redeemer. For our sins He suffered and bled and died. He, our rock, our hope of eternal salvation. Hail Him, hail Him, Jesus the crucified. Sound His praises, Jesus who bore our sorrows. Love unbounded, wonderful, deep and strong. Praise Him, praise Him, tell of His excellent greatness. Praise Him, praise Him ever in joyful song all right choir come on up praise him praise him jesus our blessed redeemer heavenly portals loud with hosannas ring savior reigneth forever and ever crown him crown him prophet and priest and king oh christ is over the world victorious power and glory under the lord belong praise him praise him tell of his excellent greatness praise him praise him ever in joyful song amen you may be seated
Oh 
Your home.
Wow, isn't it great to be in the house of the Lord? Didn't the choir really bless us tonight? <clears throat> so I've got to say a couple of things before we get started with the glass. Appreciate that so very much. Uh, if you have your Bible, you can turn with us to the book of Isaiah, chapter number 40. Isaiah, chapter number 40. And I wanted to say a couple of things before we stand and read the scriptures and get started. Uh, first of all, uh, I don't think this morning service could have been any better. It was just, it was glorious, it was, except for one thing. So, except that apparently the pastor's guitar was too loud. But I, but I, I, I got home, uh, and uh, even before I got home, uh, I, I had an earache. And by the time I got home, uh, it was excruciating. And so, so I didn't play the guitar tonight because I figured if I had to turn it up that much this morning, <laughs> I'd have to blow everybody out of here to be able to hear it tonight. So uh, between the fact that I still can't breathe uh, with my... Uh, with, with my uh, cracked ribs or whatever, and, and now I can't hear, uh, and my head hurts, so y'all are fortunate. 
<laughs> Your pastor's not going to preach very long tonight. You can just about guarantee that. So, but if you, um, uh, but I did want to uh, mention that I, uh, I, I did have that problem this morning. So if you perceive that, it is not an ongoing thing. Uh, but I do want to say just a word or two as we come back to the book of Isaiah, because we've been out of it for a little while, but that's actually okay because... Um, while I've been away and doing some different things and haven't been able to get back into the book of Isaiah because on, uh, if you'll remember, uh, we, uh, we took from a different theme on uh, Memorial Day weekend. But uh, as we look in, into this passage of Scripture, uh, chapter number 40, it is a new start in the book of Isaiah. Uh, Isaiah can easily be divided into two parts. Um, the first part of Isaiah... Uh, is considered the condemnation of the sins of Israel. And, uh, and Isaiah gives a lot of words of condemnation, a lot of words concerning judgment. The theme of it is judgment meted out by Assyria and Babylon. That is the theme of the first 39 chapters of the book of Isaiah. Then from chapter 40 to chapter number 66, the second part of Isaiah is the consolation of Israel. And comfort after the punishment is the theme. Now, I, I, did, wear, I did word that in my notes I, uh, that way specifically. I, di I didn't see anybody else that worded it quite that way, but uh, I, I did. I worded it specifically that way uh, because it is absolutely true that from 40 to 66, even though there are some words of condemnation, there's some words about judgment, there's some words about different things that are going to happen. The, the majority of the scriptures are prophetic and not only are they looking to Christ uh, in the future, but they're also uh, giving a sense of Israel being comforted uh, after all the punishment, the heartache, the struggle, the difficulty that they've had. Uh, but I worded it that way because I want you to know that there is no comfort uh, when it comes to sin, unless there is punishment first. And we're going to get to that a little bit later in the message, Lord willing. And we are going to go very slow tonight. I am not going to preach like I have the last few times and run up and down the aisle and get real loud and uh, wave my arms and hands and all of that. Uh, not because I wouldn't want to just simply because I'm not able to. So we'll, we'll do the best we can with it. But I, I want you to think about the break in the book of Isaiah. The first 39 verses are about condemnation of the sins of Israel. And then the last, uh, the last 27 chapters uh, are about the consolation. And I want you to recognize how well that parallels our whole Bible because the Old Testament gives us the law, the punishment for the law, uh, and goes on and on and on. And although there are bright spots in the Old Testament of mercy that is yet to come and grace, uh, they are few and far between in comparison to the New Testament, which is absolutely filled with comfort and hope uh, and a revelation of God's glorious salvation. So if you stand with us, please, Isaiah 40. We're going to read uh, verses uh, 1 through 5. Verses 1 through 5. Our message really is only going to come 
from the first three verses, but we'll read all five verses. It is a section that goes together, and, and we want to kind of keep it together uh, as we go. Comfort ye, comfort ye my people, saith your God. Speak ye comfortably to Jerusalem, and cry unto her that her warfare is accomplished, that her iniquity is pardoned, for she hath received of the Lord's hand double for all her sins. The voice of him that crieth in the wilderness, prepare ye the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be exalted, and every mountain and hill shall be made low, and the crooked shall be made straight, and the rough place is plain. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together, for the mouth of the Lord hath spoken it. Dear Lord, we pray that you'd help us in the understanding of your word tonight. We thank you for a glorious day in the house of God and a wonderful time of fellowship and, we, and of worship even this evening as we've gathered and the choir has sung and brought our souls up and lifted us up. And now, Lord, we pray just for a few moments as we look at this lesson in the book of Isaiah chapter 40, Lord, that we might have hearts that are open to receive it, minds that can understand it, and Lord, then a will to put it into practice. And we'll be careful to give you the praise for what you do among us. For we ask it in Jesus' precious and holy name. Amen. You may be seated. So the first thing we want to know, notice is how we are beginning with chapter number 40. And in order to do that, uh, especially since it's been some, some time since we've been in Isaiah, it's to go back to the very last verses of chapter number 39, the close of Isaiah part 1. The prophetic cry of Isaiah 40, verse 1 and 2, follows Isaiah's declaration to Hezekiah about the coming judgment from Babylon and Isaiah. Now notice what he says in verses 5 to 7 of Isaiah 39. We're in Isaiah 39, verses 5 to 7, and this is what he said. Then said Isaiah to Hezekiah, Hear the word of the Lord of hosts. Behold, the days come that all that is in thine house and that which thy fathers have laid up in store until this day shall be carried to Babylon. Nothing shall be left. Think about that phrase. Nothing shall be left, saith the Lord. And of thy sons that shall issue from thee, which thou shalt beget, they shall take away and they shall be eunuchs in the palace of the king of Babylon. There's two primary things that we noted when we looked at this passage of scripture when I preached from that. One is this, uh, is the fact that the nation of Israel was going to be carried away uh, to, the, to Babylon, that this is the, uh, this is the exile, as it were, uh, and we see them carried away, and we, we notice that phrase, nothing shall be left. So the nation of Israel is going to be completely destroyed during this period of time, totally destroyed. Then the second thing we noted was, is the, the harsh words to Hezekiah, and that is, your sons, the ones who will be alive, your grandsons, great-grandsons, great-great-grandsons, whoever might be alive at the time of the carrying away to Babylon, uh, when they get there, they'll be made eunuchs in the house uh, of, the, of the king. And so therefore, uh, Hezekiah, your line does not end 
in Jerusalem. Your line, though, does not continue. It ends, and it ends in Babylon. Now, what, what more horrible thing could uh, be said to the king of Israel than to say, your line ends, and it's not even going to end in Israel. It's going to end in Babylon, and that's where your line will cease to be. Uh, and, uh, and there's a couple of important things about that that we will not discuss. But then uh, Hezekiah uh, showed his lack of discernment in his later years. And I, I, I intended to preach on this a little more tonight than I'm going to uh, because I am trying to go as slow as I can go. Uh, but I want you to notice this is very important to realize this. We see that this uh, prophetic judgment is passed. And then Hezekiah makes a ridiculous statement in uh, the very last verse of chapter 39. Hezekiah uh, said to Isaiah, this is what he makes, the, make, uh, this is his statement. Good is the word of the Lord which thou hast spoken, he said, moreover, for there shall be peace and truth in my days. We see the extreme short-sightedness of Hezekiah. And I want to preach on this a little while tonight, uh, but I'll, uh, I'll, I'll just mention it here. It is very important to realize that we are going to leave a legacy behind us when we go. We are. We're going to leave something behind us. And when we go, it is possible to leave a legacy of a faithful, God-fearing individual. But it also is possible to leave a legacy of somebody uh, who, uh, who was not so spiritually inclined, who did not necessarily demonstrate the, uh, the, the life of grace and mercy. And it's also important to recognize that Hezekiah had a very godly life until his last 15 years. This is so heartbreaking to me for two reasons. Number one, we don't remember Hezekiah as being one of the great, great kings of Israel. We remember him as being the king of Israel who gave up, as it were, where, he, where the standing of his nation was so that they could be overwhelmed by Babylon. Babylon is going to come in and overtake Israel and literally... It's Hezekiah's fault. His foolishness and his short-sightedness is going to bring down the nation of Israel. The other thing that's really important is this. These last 15 years, Isaiah begged God for these years. Remember? He pleaded with God, please give me 15 more years. If God had cut him off, 15 years earlier, we would be remembering Hezekiah as one of the greatest kings of all Israel. But because he gave him 15 more years, and he wasted those years and squandered those years, you have no idea how many times I have got on my knees and prayed to my God in heaven, Lord, don't let me blow it now. Amen. Lord, I want to finish well. Not only do I want to finish well, I want to finish well in the sense of following him. I don't want to fumble the ball even if it's by accident. Amen? Even, even if it's just from neglect, 
or are, are not paying close. I don't, I don't want to blow it at the end of my Christian life. Lord in heaven knows that, that there's been so many great men and women of God who've blown it in their last years. Lord, don't let me be Hezekiah. Let me be Samuel. If it, of course, I couldn't be Samuel. I, uh, I, I don't have the... Uh, I, I, don't, I, don't have all, I don't have near the qualities that he did. But Lord, let me be more like Samuel than Hezekiah. Lord, don't, don't let me blow it. So for those of you who are in your middle age of life, and uh, by the way, I'm in my middle age. Yeah, I, I definitely plan to live to be 132. That's exactly what I'm planning to do. No, uh, but if you're in the middle age of life, your children are graduating high school, going off to college, getting married, then start praying now, now, right this minute. Lord, let me finish well. Don't let me blow it. You allowed me to raise my children in church. You gave me an opportunity to show them the love of Christ. I've seen them saved. I've seen them baptized. I've seen them, many of them have already surrendered to service. How wonderful is that? Now, Lord, as a church, as a people, as a congregation, let us here at Nottingham, let us finish well. Let us finish well. Well, I preached on that pretty good, didn't I? Uh, didn't get quite as carried away as I normally do, but... But I did want you to think about that a little bit. Now let's look at the passage that we're dealing with. And fortunately, uh, there's not as much of the meat here as there, there was opening up. Notice what he says. He says in verse number, uh, in verse number uh, 1 of chapter number 40, he says, Comfort ye, comfort ye, my people, saith your God. And then in verse number 2, he says this, Speak ye comfortably to Jerusalem, and cry unto her that her warfare is accomplished, that her iniquity is pardoned, for she hath received of the Lord's hand double for all her sins. Now, I, I want us to hang on to this verse a little bit. He gives us this prophecy of comfort in chapter number 40, and it declares the extent of Jerusalem's payment for sin. And we're going to get to that in just a minute. Jerusalem, uh, Israel's payment for sin. But he starts out by saying, comfort ye comfort my people. And then even in the beginning of uh, verse number two, he says, speak ye comfortably to Jerusalem. So what we're seeing now is we're seeing the harsh condemnations. Now, you know what I think now... I understand completely, and don't get me wrong, I know this well. Uh, the Word of God is given to us by the very breath of God. Every word we have of the Word of God is exactly what God wants us to have. There's no errors in our Bible, okay? Uh, there, there's no contradictions in our Bible. Uh, we, and when I was in Bible college, I was so thrilled that... Uh, Denise graduated from Liberty. We are alumni together, amen. <laughs> alumni together, along with my sister and uh, several other uh, wonderful, marvelous people uh, who graduated from Liberty. Uh, and Liberty's still a great place, and I love Liberty. But, uh, but what, what I, I wanted to center our thought on here uh, before I kind of got my mind sidetracked a little bit uh, is this 
reality that we, that we have to face concerning the fact that we're living in a world that is looking for fairness or whatever you might want to call it. And here in this passage of Scripture, he says, Israel is going to receive double for their sins. But before he says that, he turns their attention on being comforted by God. Now, we're going to get to this idea in just a minute. I know I've said it once already, uh, and I hate to be so repetitious, but we're going to get to this idea in a minute about the punishment and then the comfort and how they go together. But I want you to see this. God is changing the face of this. And what I was going to say is, while it is absolutely true, and I learned this in Bible college, they over and over and over again, they told us at Liberty, you know, the Bible is the Word of God. It does not have any errors in it. There's no mistakes. You're not, and what they, I had a class entitled Apparent Contradictions of the Scripture. And what that class was about is understanding how the quote-unquote apparent contradictions that the world would bring to us, how that the Bible itself actually answers those contradictions. The Bible actually gives its own answer. And isn't that what he said? Scripture interprets Scripture. So, uh, so I recognize this, but I also believe very strongly that the personalities of these human writers does come through. God allows that to come through. Delmer, were you out preaching this morning? And where were you preaching at? St. Peter's. All right. So he was up preaching at St. Peter's. Michael was preaching, well, would have preached this morning, gave his outline. I'm preaching tonight, uh, and we heard Daryl not long ago, and, uh, and then Derek was uh, teaching from uh, up here at Sunday school this morning. I heard a po portion of your lesson, Derek. It was very good. So we've heard all of uh, the different kinds of preachers. We're all preaching the Word of God. But Delmer don't preach like I do, poor soul. <laughs> no, no, Delmer's preaching, uh, Delmer's preaching is, is very practical. It's exa exactly what we need. Sometimes my wife will say, you need, you need to get down on the lower shelf, okay? Don't, don't get so theological. Get down, <laughs> make it where we can all understand it. So, uh, so we all have different preaching styles, but we're all preaching the same word of God. And if we're preaching the same word of God, then it's all his holy truth. But we're different. And our personalities show through. And they ought to show through. And that's what happens with Isaiah. And I said a while ago that those of us who uh, are in our middle age, or if you're in your middle age, I believe something like that happened to Isaiah. Now, don't get me wrong. God wanted exactly what was written from chapter 40 to 66, written in the exact words we have them in. But he also knew that Isaiah started out uh, especially in the first six chapters of the Bible, or the first five, he started out uh, a little bit more like uh, he started out a little bit more like his, uh, a, a, uh, like Elijah than he did Jeremiah. He uh, he he started out very bold with with very strong words, and we see it beginning to change as we go through the chapters of Isaiah. And then when we get to chapter number forty, it seems to change completely. And now he seems to be speaking very comfortably to the nation of Israel. And I believe, no doubt, Isaiah, the Lord brought him through something. Amen. I do. I believe the Lord brought him through something. Let me tell you something. 
Sometimes the Lord has to bring us through something that we really don't want to go through. Did you know that? There's going to, hey, there's going to be some times in the Christian life when you're going to feel like you're the only one left. You're going you're to get down on your knees and you're not going to be able to stop the weeping. You're not going to understand the very words of God as they should apply to you because you just can't figure out why this is happening the way it is. Amen? And if you haven't been there yet, you will. You're going to walk through those valleys. God's going to see to it that you are going to walk through those valleys. Let me tell you something. If you don't walk through those valleys you're never going to get to Isaiah chapter 40. You're going to stay in the first 39 chapters all your Christian life. You're going to be judgmental. You're going to, have, you're going to be filled with condemnation. You're going to see what's wrong with everything and everybody. No church is going to suit you. Uh, no congregation, if you're a pastor, is going to suit you. No choir director is ever going to be good enough. Nothing's ever going to be right. Why? Because you're going to stay in the first 39 chapters of Isaiah and you're never going to reach that point where you yourself had to go through the valleys that every one of your members are going through. J. Vernon McGee said this. He said, if you'll preach to the brokenhearted, you'll always have a huge audience. Think about that. If you preach to the brokenhearted, you'll always have a huge audience. And that's, that's the case here. Now Israel is broken. They're broken. They see their, they see their king Hezekiah dying. They see, him, uh, they see him feeble. They see him foolish. They see him making mistakes. They see, the, uh, they see Babylon uh, getting stronger and stronger and stronger. And they recognize that what, had, what has happened in the northern kingdom from the nation, the kingdom of Assyria, is now going to happen to them in the southern kingdom. But it's not going to be Assyria. It's going to be a far, far more powerful nation than Assyria ever was it's going to be the great land of Babylon and Babylon is so great that it's mentioned all the way through to the very end of the book of the revelation that's how great Babylon has become now I want you to notice that he says speak ye comfortable uh, comfortably to Jerusalem and cry unto her that her warfare is accomplished that her iniquity is pardoned now this is giving us a clear indication that Isaiah is moving forward, he's moving forward into a different phase uh, in the book that he's writing. Now look, let's fast forward to Jeremiah's day when things are rapidly approaching the fulfillment of this, uh, this Babylonian conquest. In Jeremiah chapter number 16, and it's just over just a little bit, uh, uh, Isaiah and Jeremiah are companion books, and Jeremiah is immediately after it. So if you flip over to Jeremiah, and if you'll get into chapter number 16, that's where you want to go. Isaiah chapter number 16. And uh, I have this marked, but I don't have a, a, a bookmark in it. So when I get there, it'll be marked. So Isaiah chapter number 16. And I want you to look at verse, just one verse, verse number 18. And first I will rep, rep, recompense. I'm sorry. Uh, yeah, so... Uh, uh, you get feeling bad, you can say some things that don't exactly make sense. 
And first, I will recompense their iniquity. Now notice this. And their sin, double. Did, did I read that right? Isn't that exactly what Isaiah said ahead of time? Now, now Jeremiah is saying it. And this is what he says. I will recompense their iniquity and their sin double. Because they have defiled my land. They have filled my inheritance with carcasses of the detestable and abominable things. Jeremiah gives us this prophecy about how that Israel is going to pay double for their sins. And it's an echo from Isaiah giving the same prophecy that they're going to pay double for their sins. Now, let me, I don't want anybody to answer. I don't want any amens or oh me's or I don't know's. Just think about this. God said it to King Hezekiah through the prophet Isaiah. Now he is saying it to the nation of Israel through Jeremiah. And he said, you're going to pay double for your sins. Now in Isaiah, he's actually looking past it and he said, you have paid double. So his prophecy comes before Jeremiah's, but he's looking so far ahead that it's already come to pass. Jeremiah is right up on it. Babylon is just about to come in and destroy the nation of Israel and carry off the captives. And when Jeremiah says this, he says, you're going to pay for your sin double. Now let me ask you this. Now like I said, I'm not looking for any kind of a response. Does that seem fair? Does that seem fair to you? For them to pay double for their sins. Well, let me tell you something. Jeremiah gets very specific about how this is going to happen. In Jeremiah chapter number 25, just turn over a couple of pages there to the 25th chapter of Jeremiah. So I got a brand new Schofield Bible. I love it. I've been using Thompson Chain Bibles for 40 years, and I went back to a Schofield this time, and all of the pages stick together. It's a, it's a new Bible, so I'm constantly uh, fooling with that. But notice what he says here. Look at verse number 11, Isaiah 25 and verse number 11. And this whole land shall be a desolation and an astonishment, and these nations shall serve the king of Babylon 70 years. And it shall come to pass when the 70 years are accomplished that I will punish the king of Babylon and that nation, saith the Lord, for their iniquity and the land of the Chaldeans and will make it perpetual desolations. So this is what he says. He says, you're going to get carried off to Babylon and you're going to be captive for 70 years and that's your punishment. But there's something interesting here. The thing about it is, the key is this 70 years. The land shall be a desolation is what it, what, it, uh, what it means. Now, the beginning of this comes to pass in Jeremiah's day in the year. Now, you want to jot these years down, it'll help you uh, maybe later. But it, it happens in Jeremiah's day in the year 586. They're carried off to Babylon. And they stay in Babylon. And they're there for 70 years until, until the completion completion of the temple which happens in 516 and I'm not going to uh, turn there but in Haggai chapter 2 and verses 15 to 19 is where you're going to find that but that, that's the 70 years but now I want you to notice something 
If you're, if you're familiar with the king, with the, uh, with the history of the late exile of the nation of Israel and of the late exile prophets, which Michael has been doing a marvelous job teaching us, but if you're familiar with that, you will know that when they come back, they rebuild the temple, but they do not repopulate the land. And the reason they do not repopulate the land, you know, I kind of like going slower. Yeah, I can breathe easier, you know. But I want you to think about this. When they come back, they don't repopulate the land. There's a handful. As a matter of fact, if you, if you count it up, you're going to find that they brought less than 12,000 people back with them, a nation of several million people, and they were carried away captive, and now they bring just a handful back. Just a handful back. So they do not re there's not even enough to repopulate the land. Why do they not repopulate the land? Now, I said I wasn't going to do this, but just to see if there's anybody that's really, really with me. Does anybody know why they don't repopulate the land? Anybody? Because when Ezra goes, he sits on the broken wall. You remember that? He sits on the broken wall. And he says, we can't bring our people back. Because there's breaches in the wall. And there's no gates. And so he goes back to Babylon. And he gets a group of people to come down. And they all come down. And in a very short period of time, they rebuild the wall and all the gates and put them all up. And then they can repopulate the land. And yes, you guessed it. That happened 70 years after the completion of the temple. So they were not in desolation for 70 years. They were in desolation for 140 years. Now, I'm going to throw this in, okay? You say, why did the Lord give them double for their sin? Well, there might be a lot of reasons, but I think there's one very important reason. So he carried them off captivity, and they stayed 70 years. And what did he say? He said, your sons are going to become Enoch's. They're, they're, they're a eunuchs. They're going to become eunuchs in the land of Babylon. They're not going to be able to have children, and your line is going to die. And I think that it needed another 70 years for the prophecy to be fulfilled all the way back to King Hezekiah. Let me tell you this. God fulfills his promises. Amen. Now, I also believe that God intended it for other reasons as well. But I believe that the most practical reason was because that 70 years was not enough for all of the, all of the uh, uh, grandchildren, and, or it would have been great-great-grandchildren by then, but for all of those children to have died off, it wouldn't have been enough. Because you remember there was a 100-year period that they had children and grandchildren and before they were carried off to Babylon. Then after 100 years, they were carried off to Babylon, no doubt a big family, and now it's going to take 140 years to completely eradicate that family. But then there's something else, and that's what we're going to close with. And that's this. They paid double for their sins. Isaiah's prophecy was thus of Jerusalem, having delayed desolate for twice the time that God made mention of in order that all of his prophecy might be completely and totally fulfilled. But, but in this prophecy, Isaiah is talking about 
he is looking at it even though he's years from Babylon. Uh, Jeremiah is not too far from Babylon, but, but uh, Isaiah, he's nearly 100 years from Babylon. And he's talking about all this as if it's in the past. <laughs> because with God, there's no past, present, or future, okay? So, so God knows what you're going to have breakfast in, for breakfast in the morning. Even if you try to trick God, he'll still know, okay? You say, I'm going to write it down what I'm going to have for breakfast in the morning, then I'm going to get up and change my mind. Well, I ain't going to fool God, <laughs> not for one minute. So when God is giving this prophecy, it's as good as if it had already come to pass. Now that's important for several reasons. Number one, it's important because when God makes you a promise, you can count on it. Amen? And so God made, gave me a promise. He gave me a promise that if I put my faith and trust in the shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ on the cross of Calvary, if I opened my heart and let him come in and surrendered to him, gave him my life, that he would save me for eternity. And I am as sure for heaven as if I were already there because God keeps his promises. We see it in Isaiah. We see it in the book of Romans. We see it in the book of Matthew. We see it all through the word of God. God keeps his promises. He kept this promise. He kept this promise. Even this prophetic uh, uh, word to Hezekiah, which is, appears to be extremely negative, he even kept that promise. But he also is going to keep this promise that they're going to have comfort. Then after Babylon, the nation of Israel is going to have comfort. Isn't that an amazing thing? But he's, he's looking at it. Now remember, Isaiah is looking at it, and he's looking at it as if he's looking in the past. Remember, he's not there yet. He's 120 years or so uh, uh, ahead of it, but he's still talking about it as if it is, uh, Babylon had already come, you know, and already, already taken the, uh, the land of Israel. So all, all of that, and he's looking at it in the past, looking at it in the past. And then we got the 140 years uh, of, uh, uh, of, uh, during the time of uh, the um, exile. So it's, it's a long time between the time that Isaiah dies and the time that all this is going to be in the past. But then he says something else. That's what we want to center our attention on as we close tonight. I, I've been dying to get here all evening. Look at, um, look at verse number three. The voice of him that crieth in the wilderness, prepare ye the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Now, Isaiah's not looking back. He's looking forward. He's not speaking about things in the past. Earthly things, God gave them a double portion for their payment. They had to, they had to serve in Babylon for 140 years instead of 70 years. But when Jesus comes, there are not going to be any more payments to be made. Amen. Jesus is going to come back and he's going to pay the whole debt. The whole thing. And there's an interesting thing about this. The idea of a double payment means that both are exactly the same. And they can be taken both negative, both positive, or one negative and one positive. So what we're saying is that when Jesus died on the cross of Calvary, he paid just enough to pay for the sins of the whole world. 
However much sin there is in the world, that's how much grace there is on the cross. How much ever wickedness there is in all of human history, that's how much forgiveness there is at the cross. And, and he's not just talking about you made a double payment in history. He said, no, Jesus, he's doubled the payment so that no one ever has to pay for their sins again. The, the, the veil has been rent in twain. You are able to come into the Holy of Holies. Why? Because Jesus has paid the debt. Dear Lord, we thank you for the opportunity to bring the message tonight. I know it's been a lot different tonight. And Lord, I thank you for a congregation to, uh, to uh, give us leeway to take our time uh, because of some of the physical things we faced here in the last few weeks. But Lord, I pray that the spiritual application might be as strong as ever. I've never believed that the power of the message that I preach had anything to do with how loud I got or how animated I was. The power of this message is from the Word of God. Lord, we've tried to preach this Word in its, in its fullness tonight. We pray you'd use it in our heart for Jesus' sake, in whose name we pray. Amen. Brother Darrell. 37. There is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins and sinners plunged beneath that flood
be crying. 